At that moment, Colin Cowherd is talking about Barry Bonds and is this record tainted? And Hank Aaron's walking toward my car, and I thought, I better change the station. Yeah, like the <laughs> turn it off a little bit. I'm not going to want to talk to him about that. Right. <laughs> What's up, Deadhead Crew? Ed here. And on this episode, I give you guys Tim Haggerty. He is the senior manager of broadcast and media relations for one of the most iconic brands out there in minor league baseball, the El Paso Chihuahuas. That's right, it's a beautiful brand. And um, Tim Haggerty, we go into um, his uh, his trajectory, right? How, how he got started in baseball, how he got started uh, calling games and broadcasting and things like that. Uh, and then he also tells me one of the coolest stories about a an iconic baseball player. So guys, without further ado, I'll give you the episode. All right. Welcome back, guys, to yet another episode of the Dad Hat Chronicles. My name is Ed. And with me today, guys, I'm very excited because I have a, a person who has been doing broadcasting for a very long time. Uh, he is currently the the and I'm going to read this, you know, from your uh, bio here on your on the El Paso Chihuahuas bio. Uh, I have Tim Haggerty. He is a senior manager, broadcast and media relations. That is an awesome title, my friend. Kind of long, isn't it? It's, it's amazing, though. Mine is just a podcaster. <laughs> so, <laughs> how are you doing today, Tim? Great. Thanks for inviting me. It's nice yeah. to meet you. And I love your hats. Just a little bit. I only have a few. That's all. Don't I worry. See the San Antonio Chanclas one. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, look at you. Yeah, I do have some uh, some Chihuahuas. Uh, one, um, I've been I've been meaning to get a couple more. Uh, the uh, Diablos, uh, which is an amazing logo. Uh, and then I also been wanting to get the Margaritas one. Which oh, is cool! The Copa brand as well. So, oh yeah. Um, but Tim, you know, let's just start by getting to know more about you because I, I uh, something that I did and I did it this morning is I looked up uh, your LinkedIn profile. And my friend, you've been doing uh, broadcasting for just, you know, a couple of years, not a whole lot, just a little bit of time. Uh, uh, you started back in, and from what I see here, back in uh, January of 04, radio broadcaster for the uh, Idaho Falls Chuckers. Yes. And I grew up in Massachusetts. I was born <laughs> in New Hampshire, grew up in Massachusetts, went to college in Vermont and worked at some radio stations there. So I had never been anywhere near Idaho. But that made it extra exciting. Uh, my father and I packed up the car, drove from the Northeast across these massive Midwestern states, and settled in Idaho. Um, you know, and some friends at the time were thinking, Idaho? Right. The people in Vermont, that seems like a very random place. But uh, to me, that's been one of the great gifts about this career, is getting to see different cities and different states that I probably wouldn't have gone to otherwise. So, and and then at that point, um, the Chuckers were an affiliated uh, ball club, so they're not what they are now, which is the collegiate, um, um, collegiate no, I think, yeah, collegiate woodbat or professionally. Um, but how was that experience, right? Because, I mean, you're going, like you say, you're going from the, all the way over the East Coast to, you know, Idaho Falls, weather's a little bit, you know, kind of the same, but not really at the same time. It was a great experience. I think for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one thing, it was a five-person front office. And to compare that to where I am now with El Paso, one of the most successful AAA teams, 
I think we have about 40 employees. Uh, so there's really a big difference. So when you're working for a rookie league team, leading up to that season, I was doing everything from ticket sales to uh, one day on the weekend, we came in and put a fresh pet, uh, coat of paint on the ballpark <laughs> and I had very little painting experience but somehow they let me do it um one time the high school kid that worked as the mascot Charlie the Chucker he was sick and we had a big gig at the hospital in Idaho Falls so I put on the mascot suit um so I think looking back that was a strength because then when you have interviews with higher level teams you're able to touch on things like that and they think okay this guy was willing to dress up like a big chicken <laughs> um he's probably a hard worker it, it's it, but it's so um it is so minor league that you know you get to do not just you know broadcast which is what you were hired for but by the way if you didn't know look at your title look at the subtitles that you do pretty much everything else from you know cleaning you know the the tarp and everything else you know in in between you know as oh and by the way you still need to do your broadcast yes and um, I, I tried to look at that as a plus. Yeah. I get I get to learn these different things, but there's no doubt there's times throughout my career. Um, even now, there's sometimes that at 7:05 you're a little bit more tired than you'd like to be. You're probably not <laughs> producing your A game, but yeah. you know I think that makes you part of the front office family when you're willing to do those things. But Idaho was a great experience. Um, they were a Kansas City Royals affiliate at the time. Mm-hmm. The big prospect on that team was Billy Butler, who went on to play a long time. And it's funny, the new book of 1001 Minor League Stories that I, I know we'll talk about, he contributed the forward to that book. He and I were occasionally in touch, taping interviews when needed. And That's one time awesome. he said to me, uh, one time he said, well, let me know if you ever need anything. And you got to be careful when you offer that because sometimes people actually call you on it. Yeah. So he told me this great story about a game that was delayed when he was playing third base because there was a snake on the field at Casper, oh Wyoming. So I had this idea of hoping to get a big name major leaguer to contribute a story like that and use it as the book's forward. Yeah. Uh, and, and Billy, a major league all-star, that was great to have him involved. And to me, that's a great fun thing about talking to players. If we get a big name on injury rehab, get them talking about their minor league days. Because even though these guys are millionaires and they're all-stars and they're famous, yeah, I find that their minor league games are still so fresh. They can still remember those cities and those hotels and those ballparks. And the bus trips and all that fun right. stuff that they have to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, listen, you know, you did a lot of – you You kind of stayed on the West Coast for, uh, the uh, you know, once you got to Idaho Falls because then you go, well, you did Mobile Bay Bears. But, you know, you did Portland um, and then the Tucson Padres – and now the AAA, the Chihuahuas, and, and you've been with the Chihuahuas from the very beginning, weren't you? Yes. My wife and I moved here in the fall of 2013, the Chihuahuas first season, and the opening of this ballpark was 2014. So I was one of the first employees. And it's such a great organization. There's still about a dozen front office members that have been here since the very beginning, which to me, when you think about 10 years, I think that's a lot. Yeah. Um, most people in a lot of fields, I think, change jobs within a decade, but we still really have a core here. Let me ask you, because obviously you were there from the beginning and there was a lot of, a lot of uh, stories that came out when the, the team um, changed its name and all that fun stuff. Like how, uh, from your point of view, right? Like I want to get to know, like, how was that taken? You know, what was your experience when you guys were going to be known as the Chihuahuas? 
I'd say a mixed response because there were some wild team names already, but mm -hmm. some of the most wild hadn't taken place yet. Uh, the Chihuahuas were announced before the Akron Rubber Ducks and the New Orleans Baby Cakes mm -hmm. and the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the Chihuahuas' success maybe made that a little bit easier for those teams to develop those brands. And that's not to discredit the names before us that also did well, the Montgomery Biscuits, the Lansing Lugnuts. Mm -hmm. But the response, I would call it mixed. I was lucky enough to be one of the people on stage when that was announced. I was uh, an MC for that. And... It was fun to scroll through the online comments. There was some <laughs> anger. Yeah. The thing I, I noticed uh, among the hundreds and hundreds of comments and phone calls, nobody ever said anything about the logos. I thought that was really telling. Yeah. I think the Chihuahuas and Brandios did a great job with the logos. Uh, Brad Taylor, the vice president and general manager of the Chihuahuas, brings up the point. They wanted to have a different hat that made it okay for a manly man to wear it. Mm -hmm. Somebody who didn't want to have a small dog on his cap. We have the great EP logo, and we have the baseball and crossbones logo. That's true. And then if you go to our team store, there's things for women, things for kids, things for all genders. I think the Chihuahuas have done well with that, where they've made it cool for everybody in their own way. Yeah, and and credit obviously to uh to brandios right because they were able to create uh such a cool and um different logo right like they didn't want to you know they didn't want to put just like a regular chihuahua right a small dog whatever but they made it in such a way that even if an adult like myself still wears a hat with the with the head on it it's still cool like, and people still recognize that it's still to this day we're in what 2023 now yeah, that's been really fun. I've seen the Chihuahua's logo in some very random places. <laughs> I've walked through the airport in Des Moines, Iowa, and there's a guy wearing a Chihuahua's cap. I had a that's friend a text me one time. He was in South Africa on a vacation and saw a guy wearing an El Paso Chihuahua's T-shirt. So I do think it's become one of those brands that even if you're not connected to El Paso, it's become a real fun brand in minor league baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the Mobile Bay Bears. When I was broadcasting in the Southern League, there were two logos in that league that I hope never, ever get changed. I know one of them's in a different league now, but at the time. Mm -hmm. And those are the Chattanooga Lookouts. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have their cap somewhere. Oh, I do. Just love that C and the Lookout Eyes. Yep. And the Carolina Mudcats. And I have the that Mudcat one as well. going through the C. It made me think when I was a kid, I was growing up in Massachusetts, and I knew those logos. And I think it's really cool if the Chihuahuas have or will become that. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, with the Mudcats, because they're not too far from me. They're about 45 minutes because I'm here in North Carolina, right? And to be able to see that people are still wearing that and people, you know, it is still a popular logo, even though it's been around for quite a while, right? There has been some different um, reiterations of the actual team, but it's always been the Mudcats, which is pretty cool, right? Uh, same with the with the Lookouts, man. That's a beautiful logo. The red, the eyes, like you said, they really pops. Yeah, you cannot just change those. Those, they have to stay. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Uh, someday, if some, you know, really smart person says, we're going to rebrand the Chattanooga Lookouts, I think that person should go to jail. We'll go get fired right away. Bye. Yeah. See ya. We, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because we're not changing. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but I, I want to go back a little bit, right? Um, I want to get to know as to 
you know, what got you interested in, 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 in broadcasting as a person, right? Because a lot of people have like, I've always wanted to go and work in minor leagues. So I just got my foot in the door, uh, but there's other people that have been very purposeful about what they wanted to do from the very get go. Now was broadcasting one of those things for you? You were very purposeful about becoming a broadcaster from the very beginning. I was, I was fortunate that my high school had the town cable access TV station in it. Mm-hmm. And they had this opportunity for kids to host a show, to broadcast games, to do everything. And that really became such a passion for me when I was just 17. I can remember, I can admit this now, but there was times where I would step away and skip a class. But I wasn't skipping class to go hang out with girls or to go cause trouble. I was going to go edit tape for our next show (laughs) or to set up the equipment for our next basketball broadcast. Uh, even as a high school kid, I think it was an obsession, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I, I think I know that's kind of a negative word, but it was really all I was thinking about. So, yeah, as soon as high school, I knew this is what I wanted to pursue. And I found a, a broadcast specific college, Linden State College in Vermont. They had a great program, radio, TV that I was able to get on air the day I showed up. There are some big universities that have well-known broadcast programs, Northwestern, Mm -hmm. Syracuse, um, and those deserve the credit for the alumni they've produced. But as I looked into schools like that, you were in the classroom and you weren't really on the air until you were a junior or a senior. I wanted a smaller place where I could be calling games, where I could be reading news reports, where I could be interviewing people the day I showed up. Mm -hmm. And looking back, being in a really rural part of Vermont, that helped because I was able to get a part-time job with a radio station where they were actually paying me to do these things. Whereas if I was in a bigger city, they wouldn't allow a 19-year-old kid to get $50 a game to go broadcast high school sports. Uh, So looking back, the the fact that where I went to college was so isolated, I think helped me get more on-air time. That's awesome because, you know, I... And, and I, I said this on my last episode that I was on, but like, I wanted to go into radio, but like, it was going to go to like a, a radio, you know, broadcasting school in when I was back in Cleveland. And at that point, you know, I was like with my wife and all that. So it's just, it was not going to be able to be feasible for me, but I've always, I, I've always respected people who say, like, yeah, I went straight for a broadcasting. It's like something fun. And I wanted to do. And like you said, it's like, you went to a small school and you were very purpose, purposeful about it. Right. I was like you, like you said, Northwestern. You you're not gonna get in, you know, to broadcasting unless you did your own thing right away. It, it just um, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, uh, and it it kind of the, when I started broadcasting games in high school, what that brought out in me, it kind of makes me wonder how much of us really pick our careers, or sometimes mm-hmm. something finds us. Yeah. Um, you know, once that happened to me, it really didn't become a choice. I. I literally never considered anything else from age 17 to today um, as far as a (laughs) profession. I remember one time interviewing a manager and there was another reporter nearby. And in this press conference situation, they said, if it weren't for baseball, what do you think you'd be doing for a job? And the manager looked at him and just said, I have no idea. I, I literally have never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like the same. I was like, I really do not know. I probably would no. have been doing whatever it is in radio. But that's what I was going to do. Yeah, something in broadcasting, whether it was sports play by play or news reporting, mm-hmm. something on air. 
Let me ask you, because, uh, you know, this is something that is also very interesting in, in the way in which technology has progressed from the very, you know, from like when you were starting in, in, in your in college to now, it, technology has come a long way, right? I mean, literally you and me are having a conversation through the magic of that is Zoom, right? Um, how have you been able to adjust from, you know, from the early on to what it is now? It's been an amazing change. I mean, I can remember when I was in Mobile, that's when online audio streaming really became prominent, where there was this website, sportsjuice.com. Mm, I and, remember uh, that. Yeah, you'd, you'd log on, you'd click on a team name. Minor League Baseball has since taken over those audio opportunities. Um, but to think at that time, nobody was listening to the game on their phone. It was always mm. on a desktop. So that to me, that was the first step was around, let's see, I was in Portland, maybe 2010, when people began to get Blackberries and smartphones, where they not only could listen online to a game in a different city, but they could listen wherever they were. They didn't have to be in front of a, um, a regular computer or a laptop anymore. And then when I was in Tucson, 2011 through 2013, that's really when the social media began bursting where if a Tucson player hit an inside-the-park home run, not only can you put that on the Tucson Padres website, but you can put that on Twitter. And then when Minor League Baseball retweets that to, at the time, 60,000, 70,000 people, and you'd look at the views and you'd say, wow, um, 3,000 people, in addition to the broadcast that heard it live, 3,000 more people have heard that. Yeah. And since then, social media has just grown and grown. We're now... You know, we've had some viral clips here in El Paso. Fernando Tatis Jr., for example, hitting three home runs in one game on rehab. Sports Center retweets that. And a few days later, I look at the views and it's like 2.8 million people. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I think it's also motivating that you got to be locked in, especially in those home games where it's mm -hmm. your voice connected to the video. I mean, <laughs> we all have calls we like better than others. You yeah. you really hope a bad call doesn't happen uh, <laughs> right. when two million people see it. That's awesome though. And I'm sure sales kind of did ticked up a little bit once you know ESPN retweeted that that you know Tatis you know hitting the three home runs. I'm like, here it goes. We got more sales as well, which is a great thing. I, I'm all for supporting the minor league. So obviously, ninety plus percent of these hats are all minor league hats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some major leaguers move the needle more on rehabs than others. He he absolutely did. Uh, typically, a team's 4th of July game is their most well-attended game of the year. Mm -hmm. El Paso's, a few days ago as we taped this on July 7th, El Paso's July 4th game was the second most. And the only one that was more was one of the games that Fernando Tatis Jr. was here. Now, El Paso Yikes. and its sales staff already had a great crowd lined up. That would have yeah. been a very big crowd. But as far as would it have eclipsed the July 4th crowd without Tatis, maybe not. Interesting, right? July 4th is the one that everybody attends. And, you know, I love going to a July 4th game uh, this year. We weren't able to do it, but it's there's something cool about it. You get to, you know, uh, you get to see all of the festivities, fireworks and all that stuff. And there's something, uh, you know, not just my major league, you know, I'm talking minor league baseball. That's just there's there's magic there when it comes to uh, July 4th on that, uh, you know, in a minor league baseball ballpark. I agree. Um, we have 150 games a year, but to me, when you ask me, where were you on the 4th of July in 2017? For the most part, I can picture that game, where I was each year mm -hmm. on July 4th. 
Uh, El Paso this year for the first time was home on July 4th. We always had a big Independence Day celebration, but it was always on July 3rd. Because you were on and, the uh, Exactly. Yeah, as you probably know, there's a minor league baseball rule that all teams must be home on the 3rd or the 4th. Mm-hmm. So every team in the whole country in affiliated baseball in the minors is traveling either on the 3rd or the 4th. Because of what you're saying, it's such a big crowd. You want to give every ballpark the opportunity to experience that. And it just so happened that Chihuahuas were always at home on July 3rd, which in some ways is just as good because most people don't have work on July 4th. So it almost becomes like a Friday night or a Saturday night mm-hmm. where you can also see the fireworks. But people, you know, it's not a work night for them. Yeah, and that's true. And heck yeah, absolutely. Enjoy it, right? <laughs> um, uh, okay, so let's, um, you know, like you said, you were, you, you've done a lot of, a lot of, work you know besides being the broadcasting media relations um what has been one of your most um memorable times doing not just in bro- but broadcasting working with uh with the teams away from the booth like you know what has been one of those things that you've been able to say is like man this is why i love minor league baseball yeah away from the booth two things came to mind uh one working in mobile we were at hank aaron stadium oh yeah. And Hank Aaron grew up in Mobile. At that time, his mother still lived there. So Hank was sometimes around. Uh, we had a charity event. We had his birthday party one time. He came on the air with me during the 2005 Southern League All-Star oh, Game. That just gave me chills. It was incredible. Um, wait till you hear this story. Like, it's it was fairly rare that he was there. I'd say once every couple of years, but he was around. <laughs> and one day... He happens to be in the boardroom at Hank Aaron Stadium signing baseballs, getting ready for a charity event. I'm walking to my car, and this couple pulls up, and they're taking photos. And they said, we're traveling through the Gulf. We're from Milwaukee. Oh, we are just so excited to be at Hank Aaron Stadium. My husband grew up watching Hank Aaron play for Milwaukee. Of course, Aaron played for Milwaukee with the Braves and the Brewers. And he ended his career with the Brewers. Um, And these people are just so excited just to be at Hank Aaron Stadium. So I didn't commit to anything, but I sort of tiptoed back into the office and I said to the general manager, I said, here's the situation. I hate to ask Hank Aaron anything, but could we ask him to walk out and take a picture? And he said, yes. So this guy who's already psyched to even be at Hank Aaron Stadium out walks Hank Aaron himself. And he's just (laughs) almost fell over. And Hank shook his hand and they took a picture and, I mean, just imagine the timing. This guy's passing through along the Gulf, going the through Louisiana just and Mississippi. Line. Exactly. And in that moment, Hank happened to be there for, you know, his one or two days every couple of years. Wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, and, and for you to actually, you know, be able to just like, listen, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to try. And and for Hank Aaron to, you know, really understand, it's like, yeah, yeah, they came all the way from Milwaukee. It was like, yeah, I'm going to be down there. Let's right. go. He was a great person. Um, he was so involved with Mobile. I saw that. It wasn't just writing a check. He would go to Mobile and go to these charity events. He had the Hank Aaron Foundation, which helped underprivileged kids. And he set up branches in Milwaukee and Atlanta, mm-hmm. where he played, but also in Mobile. Um, and I love when athletes do that, when they think not only about the places that made them famous, but also where they came from. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, it's true. Because I, you see a lot of, you know, a lot of the charity works 
nowadays, usually, you know, a lot of the players will do it in the place in which they are playing, you know, or, or, or home, but like, you know, just that, that's, that's good to see and good to hear that obviously Hank Aaron was a, was an amazing. So, I mean, what are you going to say? And you can't say anything bad about the man at all. Ever. No, no, he's, uh, I mean, just getting to interact with him and saw how he treated people. I, I don't know if I have a player I could put above him, both with what he did on the field and off the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's wildly famous, but to me, he's also maybe the most underrated player of all time. If you check out that baseball reference page, mm-hmm. you know, when people talk about who are the greatest hitters of all time and they talk about Ruth and then they bring up some more recent names. What about Hank Aaron? I mean, there's the famous stat you probably know. If you subtract all 755 of his home runs, he still has more than 3,000 hits. Jesus. That's insanity. Yeah. Like, people, players don't get to 3,000 hits nowadays. It's hard. Like, what was the last one? Uh, Miguel Cabrera was the last one. Right. It was just recently done. And how long has he been in the league? And how hard it is to get 3,000. And then you think guys like Aaron, who got well beyond 3,000. And, you know, and Clemente, who got exactly 3,000. Like, I mean, right. that is super hard. Uh, you, you're you hitting a baseball with a round bat, and you're trying to get a hit. At the very least, get a hit. That's that's impressive. Uh, how was it, though, with him uh, in the booth? I know I, I know I said off the booth, but how was that to have him, you know, as you were broadcasting with him, having him on the booth? That was an amazing day. Uh, the 2005 Southern League All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. and it's the busiest day all year for the Mobile Bay Bears staff, and the general manager comes up to me and says, hey, could you go pick up Hank Aaron? And I what? laughed, and I said, yeah, right. He goes, no, seriously, to be honest with you, we're all so busy, and I know you'd appreciate it. So I pull up in my beaten-up Ford Taurus outside <laughs> Hank Aaron's mother's house where, where Hank was staying, and Hank and his friend walk out, and you know what I remember about that was... um. Colin Cowherd was on ESPN radio and this is in the summer of 2005. Yeah. And Barry Bonds broke his record in August, 2007. So this is really when this is a big story in baseball, when, yeah. when Bonds is still hitting all these homers and he's, he's nearing, you know, mid 700s, yeah. he's, he's approaching Aaron's record. And at that moment, Colin Cowherd is talking about Barry Bonds and is this record tainted and Hank Aaron's walking toward my car. And I thought, I better change the station. <laughs> <laughs> I'll turn it off a little bit. I'm not going to want to talk to him about that. Right. That's. Um, but yeah, that was surreal driving with him. And he, it was like, he was asking me more questions than vice versa. And I told him that every Southern League team that year had a player go right from double A to the major leagues, right over at triple A. Yeah. And about an hour later, Hank was the guest speaker at the luncheon for the Southern League All-Star game. And he says on stage. In fact, every one of you has had a teammate go to the majors right from double A this year. I said, hey, Hank Aaron stole my material. Okay. <laughs> That's, well, I, I'm going to have to just repeat it again in the broadcast. Right. Okay, let's do it. I no, but he was uh, he just, as you might imagine, so classy, so distinguished, but also approachable. He'd, he'd call you by your name. Um was just so impressed by the guy. He, That's cool. nothing big league about him he would he wouldn't think he's better than you um it, it i don't know if you've ever felt this way but someone that you didn't know well you know i knew him he would call me by my first name but by no means were we friends after i left mobile i'm not claiming that we stayed in touch or anything but right. 
but when he passed in um, January of 21, uh, that was really affecting. Yeah, you know, that really, absolutely. Uh, really kind of affected my mood that day. Um, very, very sad. It was a sad day. For, indeed, it was. And, 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 and I remember it. And, but like, you know, I've never met the man, I, you know, but didn't see him play right. Like, I mean, I'm, I never had the chance, but like to, the, the fact that like he was such a, you know, a, a person that was beloved by everyone. And he, you know, transcended just baseball. It was all sports. It was, which is amazing. It's, it's great. It's a, he was a great man for sure. Uh, sure was. Okay. And, and you think just one final thought reporters tried and tried and tried, and he would not say anything controversial. And you think about the nature and what was going on when he broke Ruth's record and these terrible letters he's getting. You think about what was going on when he broke the record. And then you think about the circumstances in which his record was broken. And for him not to stir the pot, not to start a fight. I mean, what and a classic. Make a video what a classic congratulate guy. Exactly. Him. He congratulated him. Exactly right. Which is, it speaks volumes of the person yep. that he was. I agree. I agree. That's, 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 yeah, you're right. You're right. You are 100% right. Yeah, he never said anything bad. He never, you know, like all the letters they received and he still went out there and he still, and and this is in the deep South, right? You know, in, in Atlanta when he was playing and it's just, that's just, yeah. I just gave you goosebumps yeah, <laughs> talking about too. him. Hope you guys enjoyed part one of my conversation with Tim. Now make sure you guys are uh, following him. Uh, go on the on the team shop, okay? Get yourself a dad hat. Uh, follow the team on Instagram, uh, Twitter, wherever they are, okay? You guys will always find them. It is very simple. Uh, El Paso Chihuahuas. Uh, make sure you guys are following me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or X. I don't know. I'm still confused about that one. I'm on Threads, uh, my YouTube channel. Make sure you guys are following and give a, give a, give a shout out, okay? Uh, but guys, uh, before I go, uh, here is my dad joke of the episode, and here it is. Which dog breed is guaranteed to laugh at all your jokes? Ha-ha. All right, all right. I see myself out, guys. And until then, keep on grinding and always support the minor leagues. See ya.